Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. What to make of the data. Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, April 13, 2023. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by Mark Ritchie II, manager of RTM3, analyst at Minerva Private Access. Hey, welcome back, Mark. Pleasure to have you, as always. Great to be back. Good to see you, Ash. So, Mark, interesting day. Lots cooking gold prices to talk about PPI data and lots going on in equities. Uh, what are your thoughts? Big picture, where are we right now, Mark? Yeah, really good question. Uh, if we start with the equities, uh, you know, it'd be good to back up in terms of, say, the last time I was on, which I think was right around the beginning of February. I want to say February 2nd or 3rd, which almost topped the market uh, in terms of the short term. And what I was pointing out then was that the rally off the lows had some considerable breath. And I think I used the the, the word firepower in terms of what looked like a potential character change in the market that had me pretty constructive. Uh, well, things have gotten uh, more nuanced, more mixed, lots of cross currents uh, from there. And I would start by you know, pointing out we really have a split market in terms of equities. And, and the best way to describe that is just sort of look at the NASDAQ and then look at the Russell. Uh, depending on which lens you're looking at the market through, you're going to interpret it very differently, at least if you look at the technicals. Um, so yeah, we can we can go from there, you know, anywhere you'd like to act. But I think, you know, if you think the Russell is the market, which would be a, you know, it's a broader cross section, uh, it has given back the entirety of the rally. Small problem though, you've got the NASDAQ, uh, you know, or on, on the other side of the coin, you got the NASDAQ looks like, it may want to break out and move higher here. So, you know, happy to get into how I look at that, how I'm how I'm handling it and dealing with it. Yeah, well, let's jump in and talk right about that, uh, about the divergence between equity markets here in the U.S. in terms of the indices. Uh, why Russell 2000? What is the characteristic of that smaller cap index that you think makes it so important? Well, the biggest uh, thing is that it's it's the largest you know sort of cross section of the market, and as I've often said, it's a good gauge for risk appetite. So if you and I are on the risk committee of any institution and we want to put on more risk, uh, well, where's the riskiest area in terms of equities? Smaller mid cap names. You know they're a little less well known, a little less followed. Uh, there's more potential there for alpha. Uh, right. Obviously, uh, the other side of the coin being uh, a lot more potential there for risk. And what we really had after that rally in February, and if anybody remembers, I was saying, if I want to see that the, the market to potentially broaden out in terms of participation. So the Russell was leading off the lows, which was very constructive. Well, it, it rolled over. Now it's back below all its major moving averages. And a lot of that, of course, was on the heels of all that really nasty news we had in the, the SVB, Silicon Valley and Signature Bank. Well, the, Russell is full of a lot of small banks and related financials. And even the whole idea of, do we have a credit crunch coming? What companies are gonna be most susceptible to having to refinance debt at rates that you know 
are going to put a lot of pressure on their potential business or even their future. Well, the Russell is loaded to the gills with those type of potential companies and risks where you know, the NASDAQ, uh, especially the NASDAQ 100, if you look under the surface, uh, it is really being held up by those mega cap type names, uh, which tells me that right now the equity market, again, depending on where you look, by the way, the Dow and the S&P are kind of sitting in the middle. So NASDAQ is your lead dog, Dow and S&P are sort of in the middle. And the Russell, if you were just looking at that, you, you'd, be, you'd be calling for new lows. Uh, right. You know, who's going to win out that tug of war? Um, and it doesn't mean that one necessarily has to win. That's another important point. Right now, uh, I would say if you're going to be constructive or, or bullish on stocks, you need to be selective. I was hoping that the breadth was gonna continue to broaden out after January's advance into February. That has not happened. Um, in fact, even if you look at the leading NASDAQ in terms of the participation below the surface, as of today, only 40% uh, of, the, of the stocks in the NASDAQ are in long-term uptrends and intermediate term, meaning only you know, four out of 10 stocks are above their 50 and 200, which tells me that the majority of the strength is held in a very few number of issues, i.e. Yeah. the herd is thin at this point. Well, let me ask you about exactly that. Let's talk about big cap tech for a moment. I'm looking on my screen right now uh, at XLK Technology Select Sector Spider Fund, uh, looking on a year-to-date basis up over 21%. What's your take on that, uh, the companies that comprise it and the broader environment and ecosystem in which they exist? Well, you know, to the point about risk appetite from before, right? People don't want to broaden out from, you know, uh, go out the risk curve at all. We've seen it compress. Well, if if you're a long only manager and you have to put money to work, are you going to go with Old Faithful, uh, a stock that you know that feels a little bit safer, or you know something that's a little bit more risky? Specifically, though, Nvidia is clearly your liquid leader right now. Uh, I think some of that is an AI sympathy play as AI right. you know, has just kind of gone bananas. And are there, are there any pure plays in AI? Very few. So and NVIDIA at least you know, seems to be in pole position fundamentally, uh, you know, depending on you know, who you listen to. Like that's, they're providing a lot of the chips that are gonna be needed in that whole AI revolution. I would be watching that closely to see, does that consolidate? And this is where, like I said before, when stocks and equities go on a run, you wanna see how do they act when they pull back. And the, the, the heavy mega cap names are really the only things that have acted well. If those crater, the whole market's going down at this point, or at least gonna probably retest lows. But there's a very real possibility that we continue to be range bound, uh, or you can have you know, advances that are led by few names. We saw that throughout 21. Right. So I'm not saying the market can't go higher, those names can can put the market on their back, drag the indexes higher, sort of kicking and screaming. But what's going to wind up happening is if you don't own those or own the index proper, you're going to, you know, almost have this feeling of a disconnection. Like, how am I not making any money yet? I'm reading that, you know, the market is sort of going higher. And that's that's sort of the devil's always in the details when you hear that, you know, the market went up today and people look at their portfolio and go, well, I didn't I didn't make any money. What happened? Uh, well, it's because, you know, when you have cap weighted indexes and you have some of these big tech names that are just behemoths that make up such a large percentage, 
you're, you're you have to either decide I'm gonna you know I'm gonna if I can't beat them join them I've, I've got to have you know that type of exposure the catch twenty two being though if then those take a rest and we see rotation right. out you know it, it's what makes these uh, grinding type sideways rotational markets much more challenging because you feel you know it's like two steps forward two and a half back you know and and you're getting bounced around and where the the healthier the advance there's it's just sort of like you know the rising tide it, it easily lifts more boats well you know this is kind of interesting i was thinking as you were saying this about this idea of uh, folks crowding into a smaller number of names uh, as a sort of a security uh play you do start to wonder i mean s p 500 up year to date uh, about uh, about eight and a half percent eight point four on my screen right now uh, and you got to wonder when you see 21 plus percent on uh, xlk uh does does safety exist if everyone piles into the same trade and it gets crowded and it gets overbid i mean it's a real question that's a great question uh, and you know the, the other point i was going to make in terms of does safety exist this was the point where i was making all last year was there was nowhere to hide uh you know as equity markets were were just kind of going down this is why i would be an, an advocate at times for cash cash is safer than anything else that if 22 didn't teach you that lesson then nothing will uh, because if you were long vol, long gold, long bonds, none of them worked. Uh, cash was kind of the only thing that, that sort of helped you. But right now, you know, th this is where I'm continuing to hold higher than, than average levels of cash uh, because I'm just not seeing, you know, that stronger wind at our back for the time being. And, and just to make that other point, you, you made the point, okay, NASDAQ's up close to 20, S&P 8, Russell, flat. You know, you know, maybe even down a little. I, I didn't look at it today. Um, so very, very divergent uh, in terms of the overall performance. Well, that would be more indicative of at least a bear market rally, not the big, at least for now, I, the lows are potentially still in. Uh, the, the problem is where are you going to allocate the capital as it's been bumpy and rotational? And if you haven't been in, you know, the NVIDIA type names, you're probably not seeing that you know, 20%, uh, you know, uptight performance, you know, after the first quarter. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series how to unfuck your future so we're going to do it again march 11th march 22nd we'll discuss the problems at hand no holds barred and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future it just costs a dollar to join real vision to get access to all of this content go to realvision.com forward slash the future i'll see you there let's unfuck your future together Well, now we're getting into the old question, cash is king or cash is trash, depending upon your views of inflation. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that because we got PPI final demand out today, an interesting number, PPI FD month over month. Uh, the consensus on this was zero. Consensus range from minus 0 0.1 to 0 0.2 positive. The actual quite a bit lower uh, than both. 
minus 0.5%, minus half a percent on a prior of minus 0.1. So clearly deceleration there. Uh, year over year basis, 2.7. Now there's some base effects in this prior month, 4.6. But also, I just want to talk about this for a second because X food and energy month over month, uh, the consensus was 0.3, a consensus range of 0.2 to 0.3. These both positive. Actual print, negative 0.1. Inflation moderating quite a bit. Uh, any thoughts on that? And by the way, then we can transition this conversation into gold, uh, talking of inflation. Well, for, for starters, obviously, and there's been a lot of macro folks on Real Vision who are smarter than I and following that, that have been sort of calling for this, that you know, look, the the boogeyman of inflation sort of already died, you know, maybe a few months ago, if not further. And, you know, the risk now shifting to rather than the Fed being behind the curve, have they overcooked the turkey uh, in right. terms of over tightening? Uh, and the latter point or, you know, that remains to be seen, I think. It, but clearly, yeah, inflation looks like it's slowing. Powell even said in his last presser after, you know, that, hey, we have more sort of tightening in the system already from the ongoing hikes that they've done. Uh, well, you're starting to see that bore out the data. And I think the market though is, is really shifting its focus from have we, for lack of a better word, yeah, slayed inflation, but now is the economy you know, gonna slow down you know, responsibly or have we slammed on the brakes to the point that we're gonna go into the windshield or maybe through the windshield uh, in terms of economic growth. And this is where I think it's really most interesting, where there weren't a lot of uh, playbooks that made sense last year. And I, I think you could make the same argument here, given that because it, since the Silicon Valley bank news kind of hit, I think that sort of was a little bit of a turn, right? Where everyone said, okay, uh, maybe our focus shouldn't just be inflation in terms of like this tightening is now really starting to come home to roost. Uh, and where, where I would go with that is to say, so look what happened in yields. Short-term yields, clearly in terms of you know, price bottom, yields look like they peaked. Um, and if you have, you know, I, I sent over a chart on that. That was the biggest move we had you know, since that beginning move you know, in, 20, in the beginning of 22. And if you look at the sort of reverse correlations, bonds were not a flight to quality at all last year. In fact, bonds were the problem, right? As, as rates were rising, it was causing this yield compression dynamic where it was forcing selling in stocks. Well, is it possible that as that reverses the other way, well, stocks no longer have yield compression as a headwind. The question is gonna be the counterbalance in terms of recession risks, meaning how bad is this going to be You know, the other way where, but is it possible that Again, if stocks are looking out three to six months, that pullbacks might be shallower if they're anticipating that the Fed is going to have to sort of switch its stance. And that's where I think the devil is really going to be in the details there to say if the Fed goes, yeah, we're going to kind of go on pause, but then let um, a, a little bit of a lot more pain in the economy sort of happen before they become accommodative again. A little difference, say, going on pause versus saying we're going to provide liquidity. Now, they did provide liquidity with this whole banking program. So even what does it mean to really provide liquidity, I think, is going to come into sharp contrast as well. But, you know, I would say it's very possible stocks may, might continue to be volatile. But I think as long as rates, uh, you know, have come off and potentially peaked, uh, 
I would say in the intermediate term, that's going to be a bullish driver for stocks. Well, that's certainly the speculation based on market-based metrics of forward yield projections. We still have uh, folks from the Fed talking about rate hikes, uh, it's important to point out. Uh, via John Williams from the New York Fed saying that essentially that he thinks one more may still be appropriate. Uh, so he may still have uh, that as a headwind, at least in terms of uh, tail risk to think about. But I wanted to shift gears here into an adjacent topic, a related topic, uh, gold price. Right now, gold uh, on my screen looks like 2040, uh, headed toward an all-time high here. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, let me start by saying I historically have a love-hate relationship with gold. Uh, I would jokingly say that I love to hate it uh, because it's been one of these uh, assets that is always floated as you know the great uh, refuge and savior and all these kinds of things. And generally, you know, I jokingly say I, I hate to invest in it and like to trade it or love to trade it because the primary reason for that, though, being ashes. We have not had a cyclical bull market in gold in over a decade. Uh, in fact, if you even study historically bull markets, and what I mean by secular, obviously some of this is semantics, but if you're not making regular new highs or all-time highs in an asset, I would argue you're not in a secular bull advance. Well, if you, if you look at a, you know, the, the chart that has sort of been floating around on Twitter really for over a year is this is this big massive base cup and handle uh, if you you know is the term I would use other people you know use their own definition probably want to define you know technicals look it's been in a range now since the peak in 2011 and the only rallies we've had have been more of a cyclical nature so if you weren't a little more tactical you probably didn't do well or you got bumped around and I'm saying today literally as you said we're potentially close to kind of making history. Whenever markets are doing that, you should at least be paying attention. And you know, I don't normally give short-term tactical advice, but even this rally off the lows has been tough to participate in. You've had one pullback that probably shook out a lot of the loose hands, and then we ripped right back um, you know, after sort of that, that Silicon Valley bank news. And what's interesting though, if it was just a, a flight to safety, I would have expected gold to sell back off and mm -hmm. it stayed bid, which tells me that, you know, there are definitely interested buyers. And if you look at the volume, it hasn't been explosive, but it's been constructive, which which tells me right here, I think, is an interesting spot um, where if we really are breaking out here, I would expect gold at least to run to 2300, 2500. Mm -hmm. And the first pullback shakeout or consolidation should be a low risk buy potentially. And I'm also starting to see gold equities trade better, which is a really good sign. I like to take my, again, cues from the individual equities to form my overall view on the market. We're starting to see more gold stocks hit the relative strength new highs list, meaning they're trading better than you know, other competing equities. Anybody will tell you precious metal stocks have been in the doghouse for a while, uh, you know, because, again, we haven't had a secular bull market in the underlying asset. Now, why is that happening? I'll leave that to some of the macro guys. But, you know, this is where the market is a leading indicator for me. So when when historic breakout happens, uh, you know, you can sit there and ask questions and go, well, until I make sense of it, I won't participate. Or 
I pull out my risk management playbook to figure out, is there a way to play this from a low risk standpoint uh, where I can participate? We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You know, talking about some of the technical signals here, I want you to bring in a, a different view, a different perspective on this, I should say, uh, from Francis Hunt. This is a conversation that I had with Francis. It's live on the Essential Tier today. Uh, this is from a show called The Deep Dive, an upcoming contraction in broader energy complex, but it's about gold. Let's take a look right now. So in reasonable time frame, we're seeing the secondary high and the all-time high fall in our opinion. So this is a bad, and, and why is this happening? We're seeing distribution out of US debt. So there's a dollar confidence crisis, but we've got people have got to remember, currency is borrowed into existence. This goes hand in hand with debt markets. So there's actually also a bigger problem. There's a debt possible problem. So China no longer feels the need to treasuries. If they're doing bilaterals with Brazil to engage in uh, Yuan, that means less dollars are needed on hand uh, as the, the global currency. So you've heard a lot of this theme now, and it seems to have stepped up. And one of the biggest beneficiaries is not another fiat. It is, hold on a minute, whilst there's this challenge to the main fiat, the god of fiats, call it the dollar, um, maybe we should be stepping out of the fiat game because there's no clear uh, depth provider to the level of the dollar, but clearly the dollar is under threat. Gold is benefiting in this environment and debt is having a problem, generally, of, of late. However, more recently, we've seen that little dip on debt, that sh the yields, that show that the yields might drop a little bit. So there is a bit of peak, uh, there's a bit of pivot uh, nerves around. And I, I think maybe 25 basis points more out of Powell because you wouldn't want to look too soft. But there's even a, a possibility that there's not much more before there's some form of breakage in the system. Mark, we were talking a little bit during uh, that clip uh, offline about what was happening in your view in terms of uh, in terms of Francis's opinion. Uh, any thoughts you'd like to add? Well, you know, I would just point out that, and and I mentioned this, I think, back in February as well, that it makes a lot of sense to me that gold might get flows, and flows ultimately are driving these markets, uh, and so historically from my understanding, institutions have been underweight gold to very underweight gold for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And you know, I made the point in terms of 60-40, if people are even rethinking that to say, hey, let's reallocate some money to precious metals, that's gonna put a big bid you know, underneath gold. Obviously, all the things with, you know, all the information about central banks and you know, the strength of currencies and all that kind of thing, is relevant, I would say, if you look at the dollar relative to gold, gold most recently, so we had this rally and a pullback, the dollar has not made new lows while gold has is pressing on highs. Well, it tells you it's not just a dollar phenomenon. Uh, talk to somebody else in the gold industry, I am not an expert, um, but somebody who, who deals with bullion dealers, and they said all of their dealers currently are saying, we can't get the, the metal fast enough. Meaning the demand is unlike anything we've seen. And I said, is even more so than say post COVID? And he said, absolutely. Interesting. Now, again, I would never trade just on that. But when you know somebody who is in that market is saying, you know, I don't know that I've I've seen this cocktail before, and you have a chart that looks like that chart that's breaking into new highs, 
And I would also say the commitments to traders report is not, um, it isn't screaming bullish, but it's not screaming that we're anywhere close to a peak either. Commercials have a net short position. Uh, anybody who follows someone like Peter Brandt would say normally they wouldn't want to go against the commercials, but they don't have a huge net short position. And if that starts to move the other way, they're going to be buyers right alongside. And the, the specs are not limit long, which would tell me even last year's pullback probably just rinsed retail out of the market. And if we start seeing all-time historical new highs in gold, every gold bug newsletter on this planet is going to be screaming, you know, buy six ways to Sunday. Whether or not that brings the retail guys back in, you know, you probably want to be, I would want to be lightning up into a move like that and then looking to buy it. But, you know, my general rule is when you see some type of a historic breakout, you probably, the first shakeout is probably a buy um, or the first base. Uh, so, you know, right now, that's what I'd be looking for, tactically speaking. Again, though, I'm always want I want to, I want to look for ways to get on board something without having to, you know, take a stop or risk management that is five miles wide. And I'm saying that's why I think you should be watching gold right here. If I'm wrong, uh, we come right back into the range and it's it's chop suey like, you know, every other time. If I'm right, you know, to borrow from Rage Against the Machine, it's going to be bulls on parade for probably the next six to 18 months. You know, it's so interesting you make this point uh, about this, this kind of just incredibly dense, rich mosaic of data that we have. Uh, you reach a point where we have the amount of mar information that we do about markets and commodities now, uh, where you're never going to have every indicator pointing in exactly the same direction, except under the most extreme of conditions. You're always going to have, on the one hand, X, on the other, Y. And it's uh, our job to try and sort it out and figure out what means what. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And I often say, you know, if, if all the information was there, you definitely shouldn't go with it because it's perfectly priced. <laughs> And that's one of the challenges actually with a market like gold, because it's, you know, I, I don't know what the notional value, you know, multi-trillion dollar asset, it tends to be efficiently priced, which means oftentimes these breakouts to new highs, everyone's selling, they're not buying. Um, and so when you, again, when you see a big market like that, move into historic new highs, you know, you should sit up in your chair at least and take note because those moves can be powerful. And if people are caught offside or, or bulls are sold out, they're going to have to you know, come back to the table and start buying. Here's an interesting question. Uh, we've got them coming in right now from the audience rolling, uh, rolling in. And I wanted to just jump on some of them because we've got some good ones here today. Trillionx on YouTube wants to know, how about a short NASDAQ long Dow strategy? I'm going to date myself here uh, and make myself sound older than I intend. But I remember uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was one of the young guys working on Wall Street, I remember we would have these days where you'd have uh, NASDAQ jump considerably and Dow sell off as people were literally selling uh, sort of the the uh, old uh, brick and mortar stocks and jumping into the new, uh, at the time, uh, at the new time, so-called internet stocks. You have this interesting relationship between, uh, between the indices. Uh, any thoughts on that, whether there is a play to be had there, whether there is a strategy uh, as uh, as the the questioner wants to know, shorting Nasdaq and going long the Dow. Well, for starters, that is probably not for your inexperienced folks, uh, but certainly, uh, and that's something you know, I used to trade that spread occasionally myself. Uh, you know, but I would use it when they consolidate. But it's basically what he's saying is a version of the fact that tech isn't mean reverting. You know, landlines aren't coming back. You know. Uh, 
dial-up isn't coming back, meaning that the the sort of old guard companies are going to continue to be disrupted and, you know, assuming again that your leaders are in the NASDAQ. But I wouldn't just be buying and holding that spread either because it, it could get very volatile at times. That's where, again, risk management being prudent, if you want to trade that, um, I, I'm, I wouldn't be against it. Yeah, monkey, uh, uh, monkey boy just added uh, to this. Uh, hopefully, this market doesn't end up like Limp Biscuit. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> you know, I still have a landline. When I moved into this new apartment, I got a landline. Never bought a phone. Never hooked it up. But somehow, uh, I don't even know what the number is. I don't even know my own phone number. That's where we are with landlines. Right. Again, they're not coming back. Ash, I hate to tell you. <laughs> okay, here's a question that comes just from Monkey Boy from YouTube. Uh, so is cash still king? We were wondering about this earlier. Or or is Bitcoin the new big bad boy? Well, you know, getting into crypto, uh, for starters, I'm still holding a decent amount of cash, uh, more than 50% cash right now. Uh, so even in a position like gold, if, if I'm getting involved and I have, I have a small position on now, but I'm, again, waiting for an opportunity to get heavier in, in what's a low risk way. So um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, to be clear, not just go limit long or put your whole portfolio in gold. Um, I think some allocation may be prudent there. And it looks like money's rotating there. In terms of, of Bitcoin uh, and crypto in general, I will say this, again, as not getting into the fundamentals. I'll leave that for everything Real Vision does and uh, you know, Real Vision Crypto. The price action is impressive to me. Uh, and the reason I say that, and Ash, you're better to comment on this than anybody. When the headlines are terrible and markets can't make new lows, that is valuable information. I don't care what anybody else says. Uh, if you actually trade markets, anybody who's worth their salt will tell you it's not the news, it's the reaction. And I think it was last summer, Ash, you and I were actually on shortly after the whole Luna blow up. Yep. And, and the headlines from then, you tell me, have they gotten better or worse? Well, you know, this is a really good point. I can tell you this. Uh, if someone told me uh, what the headlines were going to be over the last, you know, call it 90 days uh, in the crypto markets, all the negative stories we've seen. Let's go back, actually, uh, maybe to November of 2022 when we began to saw uh, see this uh, this latest, uh, you know, the FTX collapse and all the things that happened uh, after that, DCG and all the other stories, and said, okay, here's a pen, write down the price where Bitcoin's going to be in April of 2023. I can tell you this, I would not have a number for Bitcoin that was higher than 30,000 where it's trading right now. I think most people would have predicted sub 10 uh, or at least new lows, to your point about November. Uh, and I, I am standing here with everybody else saying, I've been telling people, stay out of it, stay out of it. Because again, just looking at the price action, well, the last really month and a half was, was very telling to me. Uh, you know, the minute you had stable coins even, you know, breaking pegs over that one weekend and both Bitcoin and ETH, the primary assets, you know, in that digital asset ecosystem or, you know, sort of the one, two, uh, you know, gold and silver of crypto, if you will, immediately went right. to recent highs within a couple of days. And I tweeted about it saying, this looks like a slingshot to me where stops are run and then immediately a market trades back to new highs. That is bullish. And we have only gone higher since. And I think we've only had maybe two days of pullback along the whole way. I know ETH broke out a little bit today, uh, you know, uh, post Shanghai Accord. And I'll let you guys, you know, talk about, you know, why in terms of fundamentally that might be. But I'm saying, 
when a market, you throw all the bad news at it and it can't go lower, it means everybody's sold out. So there's there's nobody but buyers left. And and liquidity is not very good. So it hasn't t- hasn't taken a lot of buying, you know, in, in any of these markets to move things around. So to me, I, I'm waiting for, you know, I own some, you know, personally a sort of long-term kind of thing. Uh, I'm again tactically, I don't have a big I don't have a big position in either, but it's one I'm watching for. And if we get say some type of bigger base where really even in the last crypto bull market, I would be looking for some type of a repeat. If you look, you know, we bottomed at like, I can't remember, it was about 3000 or something. But then if you look at the chart, it didn't really set up until it was in that sort of eight to 10K range. And then once you broke out from there, again, you know, the bulls were on a stampede. And it would be the same thing I would look for in gold. Do you want to look for meaningfully uh, you know, prices to close, you know, higher than 2050 for several weeks in the same way. If we can continue to see prices hold and close above, you know, 30 to 35, there's probably a lot of technical resistance. If you look at the charts too, whenever a chart's running off the bottom, you want to look left for supply. Well, if you look left on a Bitcoin chart right now, a lot of overhead supply between, you know, or trapped longs between 60 and 30, that might be lightening up. Uh, and and the higher it can run into that, I think the more constructive it is. But uh, yeah, gun to my head, I would say nine times out of 10, this market has bottomed. Yeah, and it's interesting if you roll back the clock uh, one more year to November of 21, flirting on those all-time highs, uh, bumping up against the 69,000 mark, uh, and you see all the news flow, it'd be very hard uh, to write down those prices. Such a good point when you see uh, the narrative and the data sort of con- uh, co- sort of diverge. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I would say right now, look for what assets, even within that ecosystem, are trading better than Bitcoin and ETH. Um, I don't have any must watch technically right now, but it's 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 more on my radar right now than it has been really in the past year. Because if you looked even over the last before this recent rally, we're just kind of bumping along lows. And that's not how I like to look at things. I'm, again, looking for that relative strength. Where is money flowing? And I'm saying for whatever reason, money looks like it's flowing back to at least uh, some of the key assets. uh, And if that continues, that's what's going to get me, you know, more heavily tactically involved as a trader on the long side. No, Mark, this has been a true cross-asset show. Uh, we've touched on just about everything, commodities. Uh, we've talked about uh, we've talked about crypto. We've talked about U.S. equities. We've talked across sectors, uh, across indices. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with here today. Well, I'd be watching one for that, that uh, dynamic I talked about between Russell and NASDAQ. And for anybody who's a bear, you want to see Russell make new lows. And if you're a bull, you want to see NASDAQ take out these recent highs in this consolidation and breadth improve. In gold, uh, I want to see multiple weekly closes at or above this level. I think that tells you we have a new floor right around 2000 that you can potentially trade or invest against. Uh, and then crypto, we just covered it. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Great to see you, Ash. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow with Brent Donnelly. Tomorrow, we'll be extending RVDB for all our members. You won't want to miss these. So if you're not a member, sign up with the QR code on screen or by using the link in the description below. Uh, Come be part of this incredible community. We really do uh, have a lot of fun, I should say. Thanks again. Have a great Thursday night. See you soon.
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 